Well, we get to start in the book of John this week. How about that? That's pretty awesome. And we're going through some very familiar chapters. If, if we've gone through the Word of God at all, most of us have been exposed to John. And especially the three chapters that we have read this week. So we read through the three probably most famous chapters in the Bible concerning Jesus. And so, of course, we're going to talk about John the Baptist today. No, sincerely, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about John the Baptist. And why? Because John the Baptist epitomizes, I think, the calling that you and I are called to be as believers in Christ, which is ironic because John the Baptist doesn't have the Great Commission. He just kind of lived it out before Jesus gave it. We're going to learn a lot from him. And as as we look in the first chapters of John, as a matter of fact, chapters 1 and 3 contain the accounts of John during Jesus' lifetime. Every reference of John the Baptist after chapter 3 is after his supposed death. We'll, We'll see that. You'll hear a reference that goes back. John did this. John, you know, was referenced back to this. He was a light. And you'll hear a number of references that happen with John the Baptist after chapter 3. But the interesting thing is, these three chapters here and the, the portions that we find out about John the Baptist open our eyes. Because as we know, as we mentioned last week, John is written after the other gospel accounts are out. He knows that those are there. And so we find out a little bit more about John the Baptist in the gospel of John that's not necessarily revealed in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So as we read this together, we're going to take a look at some of the life of John the Baptist in this sermon that is titled, I Am Not the Christ. We find if we just go into chapter 1, there's a lot written about John here, and then there is in chapter 3 as well. So let's take a look, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, it says this. And there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. We continue on in verse 15. And John testifies concerning him, this is obviously Jesus coming in the flesh, as the word made flesh. And he cries out saying, this is, was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's interesting that John has mentioned this. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's not just talking about the ministry that Christ was going to have. He's talking about the very person of Jesus because John the Baptist is six months older. You can go back to Luke chapter 1 and kind of do the timing on that. So John is six months older than the earthly Jesus, and yet he knows that Jesus came before him, that this ministry was beyond him, both as far as the ministry standpoint in the human history, as well as the ministry of all time, because this is the Son of God that we're talking about. 
And it's interesting to me, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the introduction of Jesus' ministry is always married with John, John the Baptist. With the other gospel accounts, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, it comes in at the uh, baptism of Jesus. It's that official, this is God sending Jesus off to fulfill the mission for which he was born for. But here in John, we have the introduction of Jesus from the beginning of time, and yet we still have John as the one who testifies to the one who was to come. I find that really cool that in all the places John is the one testifying. John is the one testifying. It doesn't matter if we're starting at the baptism or the beginning of time. John is that messenger. And some other attributes about John that we really want to learn about and grow into and understand. So we continue on. John chapter 1 verses 19 through 28. And now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally he said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so John knows a part of his commission given by God. He is called to come to baptize. He is called to come to reveal the one who is to come. This is what he's supposed to be doing. But there are things about John's ministry that he doesn't know about, that God hasn't revealed to him, as God hasn't done with many of the prophets. If you remember, in Second Peter, we talked about how God had revealed to the prophets about Jesus, and they were straining to find out the times in which he would show up, but they didn't know. They were just being faithful and writing down the words that God had said. In the same way, John the Baptist, seen as a prophet among the people, didn't fully understand his full role. He knew part of it, but he didn't know all of it. Because when the Pharisees asked him, are you Elijah? He said no. And yet at the same time, we look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. As John's disciples has gone, have gone out to ask Jesus, are you the one that we're to follow or is there, should there be somebody else? We look in verse 14 as he begins describing John the Baptist and Jesus says, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. 
And it's Elijah that we're talking about is what's mentioned at the end of the Old Testament. Literally the last two verses of the Old Testament in Malachi verses 5 and 6 where the promise of God says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the, of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so people were looking for Elijah to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This was John's role. Not according to me, but according to Jesus. John was unaware of that. So when the Pharisees asked him, are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm John. I mean, even the angel who was sent to Zechariah said his name will be John. It's Jesus who knew he was coming in the spirit of Elijah. John didn't know that. John knew that he was the one crying out in the wilderness. And that applied to him. And he was going to do it and do it well. So we continue on. We look at verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So we get the further explanation of why he's come to baptize. He's come to baptize with water. Remember, that's what he told the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were talking to him said, I come and baptize with water, but there stands before you whose whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. You do not know him. And maybe even at the time, John didn't know who that was. But he was told by God that the Spirit's going to come down and remain on him. And while you baptize with water, he's going to baptize with the Spirit. Be a totally different type of baptism that we're looking at and looking forward. This is the distinction of baptisms that we look at. When we look in Acts and further on, when they talk about the distinction of John's baptism, a baptism of repentance with water, as opposed to Jesus' baptism, which comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're different. And there's a reason that they're different. There's a reason that those who were baptized by John were rebaptized into Christ so that they may receive the spirit that God has promised those who follow him and believe in Christ. What is so interesting to me concerning John are the next verses. Verses 35 through 37. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. This utterly amazes me. And it should you too. Because John is known, both in the Bible and historically through Josephus, to have a massive following of people. He was known. 
historically as a prominent figure. He's got a name for himself. People were coming all over the countryside to be baptized, to confess, to have a repentance through the baptism in water. And here he is walking along, proclaiming, there's Jesus to two of his disciples. Those disciples, by the way, are identified a little bit further down as Andrew and Philip. So Andrew and Philip, two of Jesus' disciples, were first two of John's disciples. And what amazes me about the ministry of John is he's like, I'm pointing them to Jesus. There's the Lamb of God. Go follow him. How many of us would do that? Got a name for ourselves? We've got lots of people following us? Lots of people who recognize our name. And John the Baptist never even hesitates. I confess he's the Lamb of God. I confess he's the one you ought to follow. And he points Andrew and Philip, who then talk to Peter and Nathaniel. And we get to hear how they initially come into the fold of following Jesus. I think that's kind of cool, but it's amazing to me because it's so counterintuitive, right? We live in such a, if you build it, they will come. And if you build it, you can make a name for yourself. You put your name up in bright lights and everybody can see. Once you get that glitter and glam, right? And we're living in that day and age where everybody wants to be a social media star. So we get 17,000 million likes. 17,000 million is not a true number, but just go with it. And once you get that, it's kind of hard to turn that away, right? I got all these people following me. They like my stuff. I've got all these, this thing that makes my business, my, my influence, whatever it is. I have this voice. Why would I point them someplace else? That's exactly what John the Baptist does, though. And it's something that's just huge and it's something that he continues to do because in this time from John chapter 1 when Jesus is revealed till the last portion that we see of John's ministry that intersects with Jesus's ministry at the end of John chapter 3 there's kind of this at least among the followers this unseen competition going on let's take a look how John deals with this unseen competition. John chapter 3, verses 22 to the end of the chapter, it says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Aon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one whom you testified about, well, well, he's baptizing and everybody is going to him. To this John replied, a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. 
You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am set ahead of, but am set ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all and he testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Did you hear his reaction? They're baptizing more than you're baptizing. I mean, we're following you, and we're not baptizing as many people as they are. I told you, I've said ahead. I told you, I am not the Christ. He must become greater. I must become less. This is not, you know, you want better influence in the world? That usually isn't the way to do it, right? But this is what makes John the Baptist so amazing, in my opinion. When we look, he never forgets his place, it's not insignificant. But it's not all-encompassing. He remembers, I am not the Christ. He must become greater. I must become less. Can't receive anything but what's been given to you from heaven. These are huge things. I mean, think about this. John the Baptist, he comes as a forerunner to proclaim the coming of the Lord. We've talked about that. But here's another thing. We'll find out later. But in John 10, 41, it says he's never given a miraculous sign. All the other prophets that we look at are given some sort of miraculous sign. John the Baptist, not a single one. Not one is attributed to him. He witnesses him. He witnesses the spirit coming down upon Jesus. He knows that Jesus has, that the Father has called him to announce the coming of the Lord. To prepare the way. But there's no miracles that happen. There's no great healings that happen. All the people regard John as a prophet. Rightfully so. But he doesn't come in quite the power that we see like Isaiah. Or Jeremiah. Ezekiel with those fantastic visions. Or Daniel in the same manner. We see him simply doing the calling of God. Proclaiming. The way of the Lord. And Jesus would say this of him. That those of those born of women. There's none greater than John the Baptist. Think about that for just a moment. Of those born of women. Moses was born of a woman. Everybody in this room was born of a woman. Of those born of women. There's none greater than John the Baptist. King David. Man after God's own heart. According to Jesus. In his own words, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Some scholars debate 
wrongfully concerning John the Baptist and say, well, he says, but he in the least, he who's in the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, meaning that John the Baptist wasn't saved. That's a bunch of malarkey. Because we read in scripture, he who confesses that Jesus is Lord, have we not heard two statements now in the gospel of John that proclaims Jesus as Lord beforehand? Would that not put him in a place of salvation equivalent to Moses and David and the prophets who have gone before, who are proclaiming the Lord before he comes? Absolutely. What Jesus is saying that when you and I are in our eternal state, even John the Baptist was a flawed man in need of redemption. That's why he's the one who says, you come to be baptized by me, I should be baptized by you, talking to Jesus before the baptism of Christ. Why? Because as great as he was, he was still flawed. He's still in need of a savior. And John never forgot that. So different, and yet so effective. I want you to think about this. There's a place right after this explanation. John sends his disciples to Jesus. We see two accounts of that. One is in Matthew chapter 11. The second one is in Luke chapter 7. I want to focus on the Luke chapter 7 one because there's something really interesting in the midst of all of this. So in Luke chapter 7, we see that John has sent his disciples to talk to him because he's in jail. He's probably going to lose his life. He knows this. Are you the one that was to come is what he asked or should we seek another? And he, Jesus says, tell John what you see and hear. And he talks about the dead being raised and the blind being able to see and the sick are raised up. Blessed is a man who is not offended because of me. And he sends them off and then he begins to talk to the crowds. What did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, more than a prophet. This is the one who was to come fulfilling the words of Isaiah. And then it says something amazing in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 7 of Luke. It says this, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. What an interesting commentary that Luke brings in to light through the word of God, talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, that it truly was that those who were baptized by John were able to see the coming of Jesus because of the ministry God had given him. And those who were unwilling to be baptized by John, a baptism of repentance, a turning away of those things, that God would call abhorrent, we're not able to see Jesus for who he was. Isn't that interesting? That's such an amazing statement to me. And why was it so important that John remember who he was? Because he was not the Christ. 
I mean, if we just want to take comparison between these two, we've been talking about John the Baptist, and these are the attributes of John the Baptist. But in these three chapters that we read this week together, think about what was revealed by Jesus Christ. I don't have them all here, but this is a good list that John 1, 1 and 1, 14, that Jesus by very nature is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and mercy. John 1, 3, that Jesus created all things. All things were created by him and there was nothing in which all of creation that has been made that he didn't make. John 1, 4. In him was life. His life was the light of men. In Jesus was life. And is life. John 1.29, that we've already read, that John the Baptist already proclaimed. That he came as a sacrifice for our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's this language that is used that mirrors that of Exodus of the Passover Lamb. That when the blood was seen on the doorframe, that they, the angel of death would pass over. Not because they were worthy, but because they trusted in God. This is that same language to point to the type of sacrifice Jesus was doing for you and me. That he turned water into wine, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. They're at a party, they're at a wedding feast, they're enjoying. And it's interesting because we talked about last week, we started from the end, from the beginning, that these miracles were shown for three reasons. To show that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Up until this point, his disciples were following Jesus based upon the testimony of John the Baptist. It is not until the miracle takes place in Cana that you see that the disciples put their faith in him because of the miracle that happened. They recognize he truly is the Christ. We were just taking it by his word before. Now we know. He proclaimed the temple as his father's house and had the authority to cleanse it. He proclaimed again his death and resurrection when he told them, tear down this temple in three days I'll rise again. They thought he was talking about the temple. It's taken 46 years. You're going to build it again in three days? And it's very clearly said, but the temple he was talking about is his body. And after he rose from the dead, his disciples remembered what he said and they believed the scripture. Most importantly, he came to save us from the wrath of God. See, you're in my condition It's not that God is somehow neutral toward us. The world right now kind of thinks that either God is neutral or totally for us. You're in my condition before God is that of irredeemability based upon our own works. We can't make ourselves good enough for God. We live in a world that denies that. We live in a world that thinks that God has to accept us the way that we are. Our way of life, 
from birth and our selfishness and our desires that have separated us from God are deserving only of the wrath of God to be poured out on the enemies of God at the final judgment. That's it. That's what we earn. That's what we deserve. You, me, everybody. And if you don't like hearing that, I'm sorry, it's not mine, it's his. Because I can't quote John 3.16 without quoting John 3.18. And John 3.18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's the same testimony that John the Baptist gives at the end of chapter 3 where he says, um, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. In other words, it's not, it just became part of it. If you rejected him, now you get God's wrath. No, you already had God's wrath. It remains on you. Is this idea somehow that is perverted in our culture today that says that, you know, God sent his son to save us from himself. No, God sent his son to save us from ourselves. Not some sort of sick, sadistic way in which he wants to torture people and send them to hell. He created us that he might redeem us through Jesus Christ, though we are vessels that deserve wrath. For while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Every single one of us. And of course, all who believe in Jesus shall be saved. We move from death to life. We move from wrath to glory. Not through anything, what we've done, but what Jesus has done for us. And the reason I I share this is because there's a difference between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is pointing people to Jesus. He's the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. He's the Christ. I'm not the one who can save you. He's the one who can save you. It's not my influence that needs to grow. It's his influence that needs to grow. And the problem is with you and me, whether we wish to admit it or not, some of us have a Messiah complex. We want to save other people in our own strength. We see them in a bad way, and we don't point to Jesus as being the Savior that they need. We, we come in and want to rush in to be the one who saves them from their consequences. Husbands and wives, parents and their children, children and their parents, friends and family, co-workers, people we meet who are in a bad-off situation. And you know what we want to do? With all the great and good intention is we want to be the one to help them out of this situation. But every one of those situations requires you and me, ultimately, if we're going to be doing it in the right way, to pointing back to Jesus Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not your Savior. I am not the one to do that. I'm here to point you to the one who is. And he must become greater, and I must become lesser. 
That's so contradictory. Not just to the culture that we live in, but the sinful human nature that you and I struggle with. Because we want to be that savior. We want to be seen as the good guy. As a nice person, the one who brought somebody out of this. And and by the grace of God, I pray that God will use you in that way. And I pray that when that time comes, you give him the glory. Because too many times we take it for ourselves. He's such a nice person. He did this for me. Guys, you're not the savior. I'm not the Christ. I'm not looking for followers for me. Because I want to point them back to Jesus. It's not about me. I've got to become lesser. He's got to become greater. And that should be the mantra of every single one of us. That's why John the Baptist is the greatest. Seriously. Of those born of women. Nobody greater than John the Baptist. Because he never forgot that. Behold the Lamb of God. All, all, All of them are baptizing more than you're baptizing. I told you. My joy is complete. You know why? That's the Messiah. Not me. Not me. He's got to become greater. I've got to become lesser. We're not called to build a kingdom for ourselves. You and I are called to build the kingdom of God by testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I'm not the Christ. And neither are you. The sooner we get that in our heads, the more ready we will be to testify to the good news of Jesus when we're given opportunity to do something good for somebody else. That's the way we should be, right? Always pointing to him. It's not about us. It really isn't. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Someday, we've just seen a pastoral switch. Someday, I won't be in this place. If you are a follower of me, then what happens when I'm no longer here? Same thing with John the Baptist. If you're a follower of him, what happens? He got beheaded. What happens? But if you're a follower of Jesus, who can take away that from you? See, I can be taken away. If we become the savior of somebody else, kids, I hope you love your mom and dad and I hope you honor them, but they should never take the place of Christ. Husbands, wives, I hope you love and honor your spouse as Christ does the church, but they should never take the place of Jesus Christ. When we start getting those places out of order, we start putting people in a place of importance that they were never designed to be. You know why? Because your husband, your wife, your child, I don't care who the person is that you love most in this world, they are not the Christ. And they never will be. He must become greater. We must become lesser. So that people can be brought to true salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what I love about John's ministry. John's ministry was that those who were baptized by John were ready for Jesus. May that be the testimony for each one of us. 
that we can be so irritating to other people around us till they come to know Jesus. You know what? But people who talked to Sam were ready to hear about Jesus because they heard about him all the time from Sam. Or James. Everybody's starting to hide their face now. But it's the way it should be, right? That you and I were so about Jesus that, that people said, if there's one thing I know, they're irritating as heck, but they keep talking about Jesus. You know why? Because those who actually listen to us will be ready to listen for Jesus and be ready to respond what Jesus wants in their life. It only happens when he becomes greater, we become lesser. That's something that we should all aspire to be. Let's stand. It's like a 12-step program, right? I'm, I'm sitting here listening to John the Baptist, and he's, you know, who are you? He's like, I'm not the Christ. Well, who are you? It's like this 12-step program. Hi, I'm John the Baptist, and I am not the Christ, right? That should be every one of us in here, right? Hi, my name is uh, Pastor Jeremy Bannister, and I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. But I know him, and I want to point you to him, and I want you to follow him even if that means you're no longer in my presence anymore. Because he must become greater. I must become lesser. So he'll never let you down. In him is life. To move us from wrath to life. Nobody else. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we have. Remind us, O oh Lord, that we are messengers, that the Great Commission is about making disciples, where our message is to point people to the great and glorious Son, Jesus Christ, who's redeemed us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will cause each of us, Lord, to become lesser so that you may become greater, so that people will see Jesus in us and will run to you. Because ultimately it isn't about following us having influence in that way. But honestly, it's, it's to follow you because in you is life. You hold the words of eternal life. We thank you for that. We thank you for sending your son for ungodly people such as us. Thank you that we can say in unison that I am not the Christ, but I know who is. Let us always give you praise and glory that you deserve when others ask for the hope in us. In Jesus' name, amen.